2919 East Broadway. This is a special edition of the Jake Feinberg Show. Coming to you live on Power Talk. Please go to our website, powertalk.live. Download all of our, download our free app and stream all of our live local shows, including the Jim Parisi Show, Solomon on Blast, and the Jake Feinberg Show. And we thank you so much for making us part of your day today. And as often happens on my program, uh, these things happen in a very spontaneous fashion in very improvisational ways and i got a message from a, a woman a few months back uh that uh um said you know let's be let's be friends because uh you know i'm uh, i'm a i'm a daughter of lord buckley and uh so i just got the message and i reached out to her and here she is live on power talk Lori buckley welcome to the jake feinberg show well my pleasure to be here and of course i love spontaneity May we always add a little bit of that to our life every day. Let me add, yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, Lori, can you talk about, um, as best you can, um, your dad's, uh, when he would be up on the bandstand or even prior to it, how much of it was freeform, total creation spontaneity? Well, you know, he was a man of the moment himself. Uh, he was very well read. I mean, it, I can always remember as a little girl the stacks of newspapers, uh, magazines. He was constantly reading and had been an insatiable reader since he was a kid. And but in between all of that, uh, especially um, the way I describe it, is that he was able to uh, understand his times. He was born, you know, during the gold rush, a little bit, you know, in the middle of towards the end. He saw the Depression and worked within it in the great uh, Leo Seltzer's wonderful walkathons, making thousands and thousands of people happy for 25 cents so they could come in and spend all day and all night and think of something else besides heavy unemployment, no jobs, and the crash of the stock market. And uh, then he rode into, uh, uh, if you were working in uh, clubs in those days, you were working for gangsters. <laughs> now they're banksters. Right, right. That's, right. Um, that's right. That's right. And uh, so, so he... Uh, uh, understood all of it. He uh, knew Al Capone. Al Capone loved Lord Buckley because when he wasn't running prohibition and murdering the competition, he loved to laugh, and Dad made him laugh a lot. Uh, and he even uh, sponsored a club. Uh, he named it the Shea Buckley, and this was in Chicago. And Dad hired every black musician he could get his hands on. And opening night, when all the malls and the gangster buddies were hanging out, uh, Dad went around and collected all their fur coats, and put them in a pile on the stage, took some lighter fluid, and lift them up. Well, needless to say, there was a lot of screaming from the ladies. The men went to blast him right then and there on the spot. But they looked at Al Capone. Al Capone looked at them, looked at Lord Buckley, looked at them, and started laughing. And the story goes, he bought them all new coats, and they partied for three days, and that was pretty much Dad's exit to Onward and Upward. And so um, uh, then he would be during the war, you know, he was too young during the First World War and too old for the Second World War. And so he uh, worked his act. He had a very famous act he called Mass Pantomimicism, which he would take four people up on the stage, usually three guys and a chick, and he would sit behind them and he would pat their backs and he would say, when I tap your back, you will open up your eyes and your mouth and you will say nothing. And he played them like a piano talking the sweet language what of what he called the American beauty Negro, who had to laugh at so many things that were not funny until it deepened the wells of the humor. <laughs> and uh, that's what got him. Uh, he was absolutely wonderful friends with Ed Sullivan, did uh, nine Ed Sullivan shows, and toured with Ed 
all during World War II, to entertain the troops on the ships and the hospitals, and uh, they loved him because he had that magic, that magic of the common man, the beauty of laughter. And uh, and during that time, is, is which I didn't realize, you know, I sang as myself, I was born in 49, and I sang a lot of the blues tunes, and, and finally I said, am I just singing, you know, weepy girl stuff? But then the famous David Amram said that it was during those years uh, of the sadness of the losses of World War II, many of the things I thought were just sad love songs were actually the songs of missing the many millions of people that died. And uh, so Dad would begin to formulate during, um, I would say, somewhere in the, in the early to mid-40s, he began to create his monologues. He loved Shakespeare, Willie the Shake. You know why they called him Willie the Shake is because he shocked everybody. <laughs> and he, he, he also wrote his own piece called God's Own Trunk, which was, excuse me, so I'm on the Trump line, God's Own Drunk uh, was uh, uh, telling the story of a man in the, up in the Sonora Hills that went to relieve his uh, cousin or his brother for, uh, to uh, go and vote. And he tells the story about getting drunk with a bear, and which is a wonderful classic. That was his own. Uh, 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 my cousin Elaine, who was his, of course, uh, 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 you know, cousin. He, she said that he, he just, it, she'd heard the story for a long time, so it was his, his beautiful piece. And then he began to translate. Uh, he translated the beautiful, my favorite piece is the Gettysburg Address in Hip. We're all cats and kitties, red, white, all blue. Are created level in front, and uh, it is it's on uh, YouTube for those of you who would like to see it. It just was another tribute to the issue of racism and and yet the journey that we've gone through to recognize that uh, uh, people must drop their their racistic attitudes and get hip to not to appreciating the color but not to hate it. And that dad was right there, you know Charlie Parker over my crib when I was a baby and uh, said that when I was 16, I'd have 16 gold Cadillacs. Well, they're not here yet, but I'm not mad. <laughs> I'm just honored, honored that I could have played in the room with him and been a, a baby in his midst. And that's how my family was. I, and so he began to create the monologues, even the hip Einie talking about Einstein the, and, and, and talking you know, about all the great healers, Cabeza de Vaca. Uh, you know, I remember seeing the book on our on our uh, library section of our house, and um, and uh, also Gandhi, who I love Gandhi so much myself, and I'm sure it was, you know, put into my subconscious when I was a child. And Dad spoke about uh, the beauty of these of history, so that we could learn about who we who we are, who we weren't, and remember who we can be. And uh, so he began to develop this material, and and how blessed we were. Uh, in the early 50s that Dad would sign with World Pacific. Wonderful Richard Bach, uh, who also, uh, the Beach Boys, uh, Frankie Lane, the wonderful Frankie Lane, who Dad worked with in the walkathons. And uh, they were great, great friends. And how uh, I just happened to pick up a book one day about the Beach Boys, and I thought, you know, spirit leads me. I'm a child of the universe. And I went over and looked in the back to see if Dad was there, and sure enough, he was. And uh, I would have the pleasure years later of uh, 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 interviewing Richard Bach, who is the only one, only record label 
that after dad had passed away about a year and a half later he returned all of dad's pieces to the family which is what gives us a little bit of power at this early age to uh, control the usage of the material and uh, it's just an honor to know that uh, you know that people today people have always been gone so long no he's been here forever we hear his pieces all the time. Uh, they're playing in a, uh, in a song in France. They uh, put a little bit of an intro in. My son worked for 311, which was one of his first gigs many years ago. And on their third CD, they did a piece called The Brodel, talking about the people that worked in their uh, crew, but also mentioning Lord Buckley, who knows how to feed a cat that needs to eat, which comes from the beautiful story of the Naz which is one of dad's favorite uh, pieces. Yeah, that, so that, he, that, uh, that, that album I, I just acquired in a compilation. Um, I just, I, I, I'm curious if you could, if you could just talk about, uh, you know, we live now in a very, um, uh, well, I mean, it's, it, there's a lot of violence in the world. We are all interconnected. We see now things that either we didn't believe happened on a consistent basis or believe they never happened before. Uh, but it's more covert racism than ever before. You can co- you can code it. You can use language to code it. Whereas w- when your dad was growing up, it was very overt. And I just wanted you to talk, go a little bit deeper about the kinds of things where he would try to get across that it was it's hip to dig the color and not hate the color. It's absolutely true what you're saying. I I am. Uh... You know, us Buckleys, we always have Buckleys have an opinion about everything. And uh, I have been noticing the similarities in our times from then and now, that the darkness of our lack of uh, education and, and compassion for humanity, we've lost something along the way. And now it's come up, uh, surfaced once again, because, of course, there's so many things that are affecting uh, our country, or the robbery of our Congress, Groups like Alex sucking uh, uh, all of the uh, opportunities to push their agendas, which are all about the 1%. And we're seeing uh, uh, cutbacks and helping people when we should be reaching out to them. And I see it quite clearly. And I believe that Dad, as he uh, uh, walked through so much of everything, that he saw it too. And that's why he created the, why he did the Gettysburg. And that's why he spoke in the beautiful language when he was doing his mass pantomimicism. He actually upset a Chicago mayor because he, the mayor realized he had him talk of the jazz, talk of the black people. And, uh, but that didn't bother Dad a bit because he saw the vision. And today, because people are suffering in a variety of different ways, a lack of leadership, which is big, too many wars, too many military problems, and... Uh, you know, with the terrorism, which our country brings so much of it on itself. Uh, I believe that the message of love is more powerful today than it has ever been. And the fact that we must learn about uh, being the peaceful warrior, not the bombing warrior, not destroying civilians' life knowingly what we're doing, uh, supporting the regimes that are absolutely correct, selling arms to the Saudis. It's pathetic. And so now we see the people, when they can't get their hands on the big world, they started the world of their own, talking negatively. People like Trump, you know, everybody that isn't the 1%, he can't stand. He says negative things. He supports brutal police, you know. And we see this, this collapse of respect for our mankind. And this is the day when Lord Buckley is revising the memory of what we must not forget. And that is 
that we are all one and that we were all, we are all beautiful and that we have much to offer and appreciate that there's no more blaming uh, people for what is not that their condition they didn't bring it on they're all being subjected every color every nationality is being subjected to the horrors of our negative decisions and the false blaming of things so today these words are important you know that we share them that we wise up that we realize what at one time we may have been a dynamic country that people looked up to talking about freedom and liberties and welcoming all nationalities uh, to us which made our country great people were hungry for freedoms hungry for free free speech tired of being bossed around by those with wealth and power to manipulate all of these amazing people on our earth and we see it full throttle today do you could, no, I want to I just ask you something. I'm going to put you on the spot here. If your dad uh, could give any enlightenment, because here's the thing. Trump is Trump. Is Trump. I mean, you know, you can you can call him an evil genius. You can call him a mad genius. You can call him a, a divider. Um, but I'm, a lot of his constituency uh, is not him. He despises a lot of those people. And uh, or he would never be caught. And I don't think he really has their best interests in mind. But yet, you know, uh, white working class men and at 38 years old, I'm I'm curious, what do you think would what do you think your dad would try to say in a very, um, you know, uh, in a very buck bucklorian kind of way? to these constituents who are steadfastly uh, supporting a cat who will, I mean, aside from a couple of rah-rah speeches, is not going to do a whole lot for these people or their families because they're suffering uh, from so many things that involve a lot of deep thinking and a lot of policy and a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, compromise. Uh, what, would Buck, what would your father say to this large constituency to get them to sort of at least basically think well the beauty of his lordship was then he when he uh, created there's over 62 pieces of dad's original material he started with aesop's fables because he loved the message of cause and effect and what we learn from experience and he had a way of speaking he didn't put everybody down but he would introduce them to the conversation in a way to where you recognize their position or their non-positioning. And what was so great about him is he found a way, uh, using his amazing vocal talents, his consciousness, his verbiage, his language, to get to the issues of what's really going on. Because everything that people want to blame is so common. It's been done throughout history. When there's chaos, oh, they blame the lower class and they blame the people they don't understand. And these people have been misled and misplaced in a way that neither serves them nor us. But his lordship would focus on love and the power of humanity and the beauty of working together so that he could pull their eyes away from something that was not true and welcome them into a universal truth of awareness, kindness, compassion, the things that make change happen in a positive way of what I call you know, universal mind, he would feed that to you. And and I believe that he had a way, and it still does today, because there's still, you know, it's not just the amazing people like Timothy Leary and, and Bob Dylan and all these, uh, the grateful dead love, Lord Buckley. Uh, but it's also the fact that I believe words spoken in perfect order can create a dynamic effect on people. Mm. And the, the, the trouble is we're not hearing that message quite so clearly 
And of course, you know I love telling it uh, because, or may I say, selling it and and saying it uh, to those because universal love is a powerful thing in our cellular dynamics. And when you can touch those tones and you can bring it forward to reexamine the possibilities of empowerment, it's hard to turn back and say, oh, I'd rather have medieval, give me a cup of that. You know, that's not, uh, that's not what uh, Lord Buckley was about. He found a way into your heart. Now, you know, it, when you make a person laugh, and I learned that from my dad, you have found your way into his consciousness. He was working uh, for a gentleman who had a Chinese make, a nightclub, and uh, dad just wasn't getting into it. You know, he was trying to romance the audience. He couldn't, get, he couldn't find the funny side of, of the owner. And then one day, he was just frustrated, and he took off his jacket. He took off his shirt. He threw it at the manager and said, I'll have it tomorrow, no starch. <laughs> and the audience <laughs> erupted in laughter, and he finally got into their minds and finished his gig and successfully. And that was the artistic powers of Lord Buckley. He could recognize the symptoms. He could take those symptoms, and he could evolved them into a more positive area. That was his gift. That was where he found his words. That's where he had the courage to speak up when things... He's always stuck up for, for the underdog. I met a wonderful, beautiful woman named Lady Purple. Dad had dubbed her because he dubbed everyone with a title for everyone. All ladies and gentlemen were lords and ladies in the royal court. Everyone. And uh, she said that she'd had breakfast with my parents, and she was fascinated at my dad's performance. And, and this was when I was very little. And she said they went back to the hotel to enjoy the rest of their morning. And the gentleman at the counter of the room said, uh, when dad asked for the key, he goes, and who is this woman? Because she was a very beautiful black woman. And dad looked at her with the most glorious uh, expertise and power. She's my children's tutor. And he, oh, sorry, Lord Buckley. It's like the John John Cleese was a hipster, right? He just knew how to slide it in there. And with that vocal power and his physical madness of handsomeness and energy, well, they laid down like a rug and got hip right there and there. And I'm sure that gentleman learned a lesson that day, maybe the first of the ones that would come to him eventually. So he would be he would be examining the scene, and he would find in his beauty of his imagination in the writing. I have a piece uh, that Dad did on Langston Hughes, which has never been released, and I look forward to playing it at, uh, at my next show because, of course, like many people, uh, uh, I, I have a lot of great things trapped in the old vehicles, and I must switch them over. And uh, I'm going to be doing a show uh, in Nevada City, California on the 15th, and uh, so it'll be the first time I'm actually showing pictures and picking out co- the great conversations that Dad uh, had with Stutz Turkle, which, oh, the Stutz man, what a groovy, groovy man he was. I had the pleasure of meeting him years later. So it's these great conversations, which is why I never wanted to take a nap as a kid. I knew I was going to miss something. Can and I, that was where yeah. the energy was. Absolutely. You know, uh, I was having a, a, a burning conversation with uh burning burning conversation here with Lori Buckley um how much uh how much were you aware of your can you talk about your dad's um use of of uh LSD uh and how uh you know how that helped uh, if he was involved I mean he was he was really at the forefront of this enlightenment movement in the 40s and 50s and I know that a lot of the cats um, I mean, let's face it. I mean, 
the government was making uh, legal LSD. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about um, how that factored into his repertoire, if at all. Oh, it'd be my pleasure, uh, because uh, it's, it was a beautiful thing. I had the pleasure of meeting Oz Janiger that did over a thousand uh, LSD uh, versions where he brought people into a comfortable area where they felt safe, and they, including Clark Gable, who loved, loved the LSD. Oz, Oz who? What's his name? Oz Janiger, he was a professor at UCLA and did the LSD experiment. Wow, okay. You know, where he interviewed people, and Dad happened to be one of those people. And so I remember uh, the day. We were up at Lake Arrowhead at a wonderful home of a gracious gentleman named Thaddeus Ashby. And uh, uh, James Coburn was there, and Jonathan Winters was there. And uh, they uh, they were dropping. Of course, I was, you know, like nine years old. I was, I was, uh, I was... A very mature nine. My brother Richard. We were just 15 months apart, and we were we met thousands of people in our young lives. So we I wasn't just a nine year old. Might have been 10. And and but I was very mature. So I can remember Dad saying how we were walking amongst the beautiful pine trees up there in, above the lake, and Dad was saying, "Oh look, they look like Christmas trees," and he was just in wonderment. And uh, it was beautiful to watch. And I had no idea because in our family, we never said the word cannabis or marijuana. It just was a lovely fragrance when I came home from school. It was beautiful. And everyone seemed so happy and celebrating the, the wonderful, not even even knowing at the time, the healing of the great cannabis. And uh, so it was, uh, he loved the adventures. And they say, uh, Oz spoke about a tape that dad did for 24 hours told stories and did not ever repeat the same one. And uh, that was, of course, you know, to heal, to find him, excuse me, not heal, but to hear him speak in his, uh, just his constant uh, uh, dialogue, because uh, he had so many stories. That's why they call me Story Buckley. Uh, and I inherited that. And so to me, it was beautiful. And I just did an interview with a gentleman named uh, Cliff Nesterhoff, Cliff's a wonderful interviewer, a great writer, uh, and has a passion for comedians, which I had the pleasure of doing two hours on his show, and uh, or somewhere it'll be put on his site or his history. But he is also studying the LSD experiment. So I happened to have, uh, I called my friends who, that, there was some Lord Buckley festivals that were done, uh, there was actually seven of them that were done in the um, uh, 80s and a little bit into the 90s. And I, I came, I arrived on the scene by the third festival. And uh, uh, Oz brought, uh, uh, during the, probably the fourth festival, he brought in a letter that was translated from Dad's recordings of when uh, he was, what it was like for him to be on LSD, when he was on LSD. And so John uh, Hostetter, wonderful, wonderful uh, comic who just passed uh, just not too long ago from cancer, uh, he did Dad's interpretation, his doing the vocal interpretation and Dad's adventure of the LSD. Now, if I'd had it transcribed, I would read it to you right now just to fulfill the moment. But it, it will be known and it will be said. And, uh, and Grace, you know, in life, how lucky we are to be put in a place on my last mother's, I would say, six weeks before she died in 97, uh, my brother Fred and I, who was my older brother, who I didn't know was my brother till I was about 10, 10 and a half, um, we got invited to Timothy uh, Leary's house because these two gentlemen that were on Oz Janiger's deathbed promised to help the Lord Buckley Project come alive because Oz loved Lord Buckley. He says, I met an archangel once. 
his name was Lord Buckley. And so we went over to the younger, uh, the son was having a birthday party at Timothy Leary's. And uh, so I, my brother and I got there, and I was have to say the energy was so magnificent because there was his archivist. He'd left uh, messages for 20 years before. There was his uh, uh, computer dudes who every night Timothy got on his answered questions uh, because he wouldn't take, he'd only take Vicodin. He wouldn't take any morphine until the very last days because he wanted his whole mind. And so we waited for him because he was, you know, he had to work up to seeing everyone. And he came out of his bedroom. And wouldn't you know how blessed I was? He came over and sat by me. And it was one of the times I never told him who I was. I didn't know he knew Lord Buckley's material. I'd, and quote it, and, and, and how, of course, Timothy knew all about the LSD trips. But I looked at him, and I waited for a moment, and I said, Well, Timothy, I said, you certainly pierced the veil, didn't you? And he looked at me, and he goes, Yes, I did. <laughs> and if I could have told him who I was, we could have engaged in some magnificent conversation, but I guess it wasn't meant to be. But uh, right now, uh, the project Too Hip for the Room, uh, which is uh, 109 interviews of uh, Michael Montalion, who has LordBuckley.com, and uh, Roger Mexico, who was there producing these wonderful interviews, and there'll be more. Uh, the famous uh, 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 Gentleman, uh, Alex Gibney, who's done a wealth of motion pictures and mainly documentaries, he was signed on as executive producer. Uh, we got to raise a half a million, but I'm not worried about it because all these years we have waited through many years. I created my own life, as my family did, and celebrated ourselves, but yet we always knew that we carried the joy and the beauty of our father's monologues and what it meant. Can you talk, and, uh, yeah, can you talk about... Um... Uh, the Grateful Dead specifically, how do you know that they were inspired by your father? Well, uh, 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 Oliver Traeger, who's written a book on Dad, one of the books, mine will be next, um, uh, he uh, worked, wrote the Dead book. And Garcia had apparently, uh, when my dad, we were getting ready to leave the Bay Area because there was a tremendous momentum coming up. Dad's albums were selling. The, the hip movement was heading forward and would eventually be, of course, the the birth of the hip, of the hippies. I was a hippie. I was born a beatnik, but I learned. And uh, Garcia was at a gig where Dad was working, and he became so enthralled, it was said that he dreamt of playing guitar behind Lord Buckley during one of his monologues. And uh, wow. Pigpen would read Lord Buckley material to uh, the girls and whoever were around to put them to sleep at night. He would do Lord Buckley material. <laughs> and of course, Kent yeah, yeah. And Ken Kesey, uh, who says, if all of y'all appreciate the beauty of Ken Kesey, love Lord Buckley. And Michael Montagnon did a wonderful interview with him, which is also on YouTube, uh, where he talks about the beauty and the repetition, the, the music and the patter, and, and how it fed the consciousness. And one of, I'm lucky and blessed to at least be friends with his son and, uh, and, the, and many of the people that uh, hang at the Kesey Ranch. And uh, so it's, it's uh, you know, we were just very, very lucky. My life has been blessed to put me before certain people, just like a, a spontaneous uh, moment to share these stories with you. Oh, it's an, and, uh, we're going to have to do about nine parts here. I just, If you could, for the younger generation, I'm 38, but my daughters, future generations, I think what I, the most important question here in my mind, what was it about, was it, 
can you talk about what was cutting edge about Lord Buckley? Was it his vibe on stage? Was it his use of language? Was it his, about uh, you know merging the metaphysical with the physical? Can you talk about the things that, well, for instance, it says here, um, let me see where it says here, hipsters, flipsters, and finger popping daddies. That was a line used by a keyboardist, Mike Finnegan, who plays with Bonnie Raitt. I mean, the guy clearly was on the pulse <laughs> of, you know, um, if you could talk about what he did as a forerunner for beats and poets and just in general artists alike what was he what were his seminal attributes well what really brought him through is because we are all evolving uh, whether we like it or not the more wisdom the more awareness we learn we begin to grow with that and make each like going out have a little apple and a little orange and i'll be changing this and that well lord buckley had many successful years in vaudeville and uh, he was in early radio, early television, and all over live stage, and doing the four-way bit. But yet, to be hip was kind of square, you know, and not welcomed yet. But because he, his mother, the, he was Lord Buckley was born in Tuolumne. His wonderful mother, Annie Laurie, just incredible woman, raised six children, and three from another marriage. And she, you know, there were no radios. There, there everybody uh, sang three-part harmony, played the ukuleles. And everyone got together. She was a laundress, and they would always come and talk, look for advice, because the Gold Rush people, thousands, millions of people uh, coming to make their, find their way, the American dream. And so Dad had a great compassion for the common man, whatever color he was. And he used that and, and used that as part of his entertaining in the walkathons and making, uh, com- making an audience come alive. But great storytellers have tremendous skills, and they could all play the... the uh, uh, what they call the mouth, the mouth horn. You know, they, he used every single artistic thing that he could use to mesmerize you. He used to leap over orchestra pits when he entered the, from the back of the room. And so then he, he got into teaching them lessons. And, and that's what was so much about the realm of which we lived in the beauty of our conversations at home and the things that would erupt. You never knew what was going to come up and out and what seemed outrageous in the outer world inside was just fascinating and so you know milton burrow who i got to meet he goes laurie did i ever tell you about the night that your dad came out on stage with no pants on i go no i missed that and so he told me all about it but the beauty of those times vaudeville was the slap happy little stories and and little jokes and stuff like that but dad began to change harry the hipster who wrote uh, who put the benzedrine in mrs murphy's ovaltine in the late 40s he said listening to your dad transition was like going to an aa meeting and uh, But Dad began to combine the lessons of emotion, of history, of kindness, of mankind, and he began to turn it into a place where there were no coffee houses yet. And so he would work late nights at the club when things were kind of quiet. He'd start working his material, telling the wonderful sto- uh, stories of Joan and the Whale, talking the Gettysburg Address, doing you know the, the beauty of uh, uh, Caesar and and uh, uh, Mark Antony's oration, you know, these were lessons trapped in what I call trapped in an old language, but still with a lifetime of endless lifetimes of important things to never forget about our place in history, our failures, our successes, our, our directions of where we're going. When uh, Dad died in November 12, 1960, when he was listening to Kennedy's speeches, he was truly listening. 
he was deep into the television, just embracing every word. Because the great thing about Kennedy, which we never got to see what his full extent was, but it was strong enough to shake an assassination. But yet he was, they said when he took the presidency, that he had a realization and a change in his mind about what it really meant to be the president. He saw the country. His brother saw those that were starving to death. They were brilliantly educated, but they evolved into something that they knew was important enough to change mankind. And see, Dad was out on Malibu Beach, excuse me, uh, Santa Monica Beach, uh, and Jack Jones, the famous singer, Jack rolled up. He goes, Laura, I was just a young man. He said, and there was this man talking in a different language, in a different lingo. He said, I, I never heard anyone speak like that. And he became, of course, an admirer of Dad's. I was so honored to meet him because I didn't know until I'd met him in a happenstance moment at, in Rodney Dangerfield's suite, and he rolled in, and I got to say who I was, and he got to tell me that story. So Dad implanted the possibility of a larger consideration, one that takes you past prejudice. Uh, Mom said during a Washington, D.C. show, a man came up after Dad did the Black Cross, which was written by Paul Newman's um, uh, uncle, who was a famous poet. And uh, they, the guy came backstage. He wanted to kill Lord Buckley. He was a real racist, and it just inflamed him. It brought up feelings that he wasn't maybe even able to describe to himself. But Mother said he came back a couple years later, and they met him again, and he apologized for his racist view and the horrible things that he said because he finally got it. It healed him. And that's the effect that I think Lord Buckley still has because he's talking the beauty of the jazz talk, the what's happening, baby, bringing the old lessons and greeting them into a new language. And I believe that language still lives because, as Quincy Jones said, you know, that Lord Buckley was the first rap artist, which I love that. Lori Buckley, uh, you just cooked for about 35 minutes. I mean, I, normally I navigate these interviews and I can get people to riff for a while. I mean, this was absolutely scintillating stuff. Maybe we can can we pick up part two next week? Absolutely, you may. Right. And and anything you want to talk about, I love to talk about things. Uh, not only but in my time, but our times and what we're expressing. And and I'm so grateful that you called because I'm working on some things for the show, and uh, it just inspires me to have your beauty of your attention and your audiences. For I believe, as Dad said quite clearly, that people were the true flowers of life. And what a pleasure it has been to stroll through the gardens of your attention. Hey, Lori, cheers. We'll be in touch, and I'll get you a copy of this right away. And uh, on Facebook, I'll start to transcribe some of these stories, and um, and uh, we'll just keep going from there. It was really an honor to talk to you. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye Bye-bye heard from lord buckley's daughter Lori buckley what a firebrand still sharp and uh and articulate and able to weave about her father's progressive and quite frankly awe-inspiring talents on the bandstand he was a precursor to so many of the psychedelic rock groups he had jazzers backing him up while he was riffing poetry in the 50s he was dropping acid at a tremendous rate and really just hanging with a bunch of bunch of hipsters, flipsters, and finger-popping daddies. Uh, we'll be back with Steve Ferroni at the top of the hour. For now, let's rejoin the Jim Parisi Show. 23. I have 23 words, 